This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we get started into the featured content for today, I want you to know about an ebook called Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which Discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. Multiply Disciples draws wisdom from church history by looking at several important disciple-making movements, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary, and you can download his ebook, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org slash ebooks, or click on the link in the show notes. Today we're featuring an episode from Renew, and the episode is called Prayer and Fasting for Discipling Relationships, featuring Dave Clayton and Sydney Clayton. Take a listen. My name's Jason. I'm with Renew.org. Um, so I just wanted to be the first to welcome everybody. And uh, this is actually not saved. I'm going to pass this around. Um, but I just wanted to start by introducing Renew, in case uh, anybody's here that doesn't know about Renew.org. Um, we are a network very much like Discipleship.org, where we are unique is uh, how we are laser-focused on theology. And so we believe, and our partners and uh, our contributors all uh, band with us and believe that good biblical theology uh, promotes, motivates, celebrates seeking, saving, and discipling the lost. So as we say, we renew the teachings of Jesus. That's the whole scripture for us. That's the whole Bible uh, to fuel disciple-making. And so that's what we're all about. We do that in five ways. Uh, We found five ways that we believe we're being effective um, to do that. The first three are... um, kind of content driven. One is our website, renew.org. I'd ask that if you haven't been to renew.org, go there. Every day we're putting fresh content, relevant content. Um, people are posting, blogging, there's podcasts, a uh, newsletter there um, that talks about current events and things that are relevant. Um, so renew.org. We have a publishing imprint. Uh, we have books on Amazon and on the website um, on topics you might be interested in. Um, And then we do a gathering every year. Two days ago, we had our national gathering here in Nashville, about 600 folks all passionate about theology came together. Um, The the Claytons were there and presented, um, as well as we had uh, 11 other main stage speakers, 14 workshops. It was a really encouraging day. Um, And if you missed that, don't worry. We're going to do it again next year, as well as some regional events between now and then. You can go to renew.org. Uh, to find out more information about that, or I'm going to be passing a clipboard around. If you just give me your name and email on this clipboard, I'll make sure that you can't forget next year's event. It's going to be on a Friday and Saturday following discipleship.org, National Discipleship Forum next year. So those are three ways. Then we do a rubber meets road, a couple things where uh, where it's a little more uh, in action, and that is uh, one, we, we create and we promote and celebrate simple reproducible ways that people can be better disciple makers. And we teach that in a mentoring style uh, of teaching. And then we also have learning communities. If you're a, a especially young, we, we really target young ministers and pastors under 40, and you're interested in how do I shift my church, my community to that of disciple making, 
we get we get guys like that together in a room. We bring in people from all over the world that have proven that they're either part of disciple-making movements or they're currently making disciples successfully. We share their best practices. These guys glean what they can from that. They get in subgroups. They figure out how they can take that back and make a change. And then they'll keep touching base throughout the year to hold one another accountable. It's one of the coolest things that I get to watch. It's one of the most effective uh, strategies that we've empl um, employed at Renew. But all of it is based on seven values we have. And the first is the acknowledgement of the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and fasting. And so today you're going to hear from Dave and Sydney, and I'll let them take, take it away. And good morning. Glad to, glad to be with you. I want to pray over us. Uh, we're excited this morning. We're talking about what we believe is just this undeniable connection between prayer and fasting and disciple making, not just on a personal level, but on a communal level, and we believe on a movemental level. And so we're going to just kind of talk to some of our experience on that. I want to pray over us this morning. Uh, I know if you're anything like me, I come to these things, and there's so much stuff, so much content, so many things, and, and, you know, our heart for you is just that God would give you maybe just that one thing that you need in this, like, what's that one thing that you need to take home with you, and um, that he'd, he'd help you receive that, and that it'd bear fruit. So I'm going to pray, and we'll jump in together. Father, I love you, and I just, I thank you so much for my sisters and my brothers in this room. God, thank you for these leaders. Thank you for their families. Thank you for their ministries. Thank you for the portion of your church that they've been entrusted to serve and to love and to care for and to lead. And God, I just ask that you would give us just real measured wisdom as we share this morning. God, give us the ability to hear you in real time with them, for them, on behalf of the people that they represent. God, would you bless them as we wrestle through some of these things together. God, thank you for uh, this gift of this space and our time together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, I'm Sydney, Dave's wife, a.k.a. Better Half, as you guys understand that, right? We just want to just be really candid with you and have a conversation this morning about prayer and fasting because it's been a journey for us, and we know everybody's on a different place on that journey. And about five years ago, God started opening our eyes that prayer and fasting wasn't an option. You know, that was something knowledge-wise, like, yeah, we believe in prayer. Yeah, we believe in fasting. But it wasn't something that we viewed as a necessity, and especially a necessity for revival and for change and for movement, right? And so a few years ago, God was gracious to give us one of those relationships, kind of like the David and Jonathan, where you niche your heart together immediately and you just click. You guys have had those before, right? We've also had the other ones where we're like, oh, we don't click, right? We've had those two. But he gave us this relationship with some friends in Kenya, with Carol and Marathi Wanjiao, and they said, hey, why don't you guys come to Kenya and come, come just join us, come hang with us. And we knew that God was giving us an opportunity to sit at the feet of leaders and learn, and we couldn't say no to that opportunity. So we flew over a couple of years ago with our whole family in tow. At that point, it would have been a 14-month-old, a 3-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Mm -hmm. So we brought friends with us to help us because we're not ignorant. And we, we went over there. Yeah. We, we had to survive, too. So we went over there, and we landed on day 30 of a 30-day fast for their entire church. We didn't know that. We're glad we landed on day 30 and not day 15. That was a long Yeah, so nobody long. wants to visit friends on the first day of a 30-day fast. You know? and so we're glad we got there at the end. So we're on day 30, and we land, and 
We just start to hear testimony and the witnessing of what God was doing in that season. And really, one of our sweetest times was when we were just in the car with Carol, the two of us. She was showing us around the city just outside of Nairobi. And she just began to talk about what that journey of fasting has looked like. And she just was really candid. She said, hey, the movement, the growth, the shift, the change, what you see spiritually going on is all a result of our community digging in and fasting and prayer. That what you see in this spiritual shift is because we have sacrificed physically and it's taken us to a different realm spiritually. And she began to unpack this a little bit for us in a way that she showed us what it looked like to gracefully step into fasting in our own ignorance. And she demonstrated it really with their family. They have three kiddos and their oldest was 14 at the time and their two, their twins, their boy and girl were 12 at the time. And she told us, hey, this is what it looks like to invite them in. They actually participated in the 30-day fast too, sun up, sun down, is what they were doing. And she demonstrated what it looked like for her son, who was the most disciplined, to actually have the hardest time with fasting. I'm like, Mommy, I am so hungry. I, I just can't do this. And she'd say, you know, hey, let's just pray together for God to, to just fill your belly with spiritual food. And then if, if you can't do it, just let's eat and let's start again tomorrow. I was like, Oh, in my legalistic heart, that would not have been my response, right? <laughs> and, and I go, whoa, she's inviting her son to learn. And there's grace for it, and there's restarting. There's grace, and there's restarting. And we just were talking about what's the heart of pulling your children in? Why not wait till they're older? Why do it now? And she said, you know, if we want to give them spiritual toughness, spiritual tenacity that will last them a lifetime, it starts here. She said, in a society mm. and in a culture that has immediate gratification, how do you teach them self-denial and self-discipline? starts with fasting, denying yourself and becoming dependent upon God. And that's where we started to realize, man, what would it look like for us to lead our community of faith in self-denial in order for us to grow spiritually? And so we, you know, we came back in this, you know, we were, we were just all stirred up. We thought, man, if if that's the kind of faith that, you know, communal prayer and fasting can produce in a community, why have we not taken that more seriously? And, and I mean, we just came back and we were charged up. And so, you know, God had convicted us on that trip. Uh, and I, I've shared this many times. Maybe you've heard this before. He had convicted me that um, I was not a praying man. And that's the reason our church wasn't a praying church. And I said lots of prayers. You know, I'm like, God, I've prayed for every meal. <laughs> you know, I've prayed for every sermon that you please do something, you know, and uh, I pray a lot, you know, but there's a difference between like saying prayers and being a praying person. Uh, shake your head if you understand that difference. And God, God just convicted us, uh, you know, hey, there's more here. You're leaving something on the table. And, and so that year we came back and we started really, really pursuing uh, the Lord in intimate spaces, not because of what we could get from him, but because we thought we could get more of him. Does that make, make sense? And so you know, prayer is not the stick that you use to hit the cosmic pinata in hopes that the blessings will fall. Uh, we, we believe that, that prayer is the place where you just meet uh, the infinite God in, in, in unbelievable places. And so God started taking us <clears throat> on this journey, and then we, we started bringing our church into it. And this is, you know, uh, almost four years ago now, and we started bringing our church in these pl places of prayer and fasting. And, and I'm telling you, most of what we're going to share with you today, we are sharing because we learned the hard way and the wrong way. And we came back all fired up. Our church had never prayed and fasted together really ever. And we come back and we're like, we're going to fast for 30 days together. 
And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to cancel our normal Sunday services. And we're going to have three-hour prayer meetings every Sunday. And, and everybody's like, whoa, like what happened in Kenya? Like, you know, and um, can, can I tell you what happened when we did that? Um, man, uh, we, lost, we lost a big group of our church. Like if you want to know how not to grow a church, that's the way to do it. Um, you know, because we, we, we failed to recognize that there's something really powerful about meeting people where they're at and taking thousands of small steps together in the same direction. And so we, we started poorly, but by the grace of God, we've, we've been able to, to recover gracefully. And what we're seeing God do now is just absolutely amazing. And we're not where we want to be. Like, we haven't arrived. We're still experimenting in all of this. But, man, we're just watching God move. You know, our church now... Uh, has this real culture of prayer that's forming. We tithe our year as a church family in prayer and fasting, um, which means we give more than 10% of our time and our energy to corporate communal prayer and fasting. And so we take the month of February every year for 30 days, we pray and fast. Um, we take the month of August, 21 days of prayer. We take the first Wednesday of every month as a day of prayer and fasting. We take the last two hours of every Sunday and we pray as a church family. Uh, we take 10 to 15 minutes in every Sunday worship gathering and give people the space to pray. And there's other things that we do as well. We do 24-hour prayer rooms. And, and uh, it's, it's just become the heartbeat of who we are. And what's been so sweet in this is it's not just stayed with that little moment in our family or this little moment in our church, but it's begun to spread across the city. And so this past uh, February, we had more than 418 churches from the city join us for a month-long season of prayer and fasting and we literally, collectively, as the church here in Nashville, prayed for every person in the city by name and then wrote them a note telling them how much they matter to Jesus. And God is just doing amazing things that started in this place of prayer and fasting. And, and, we, and we believe that this is really significant in the kingdom of God. And here's what we want you to hear this morning. Um, I think there's two ways to think about prayer and fasting. There's maybe more, but there's maybe two uh, predominant ways. And the first way is just to think about it as a personal discipline which is certainly true, and that's a valuable way to think about it. But in order for you to understand what we're talking about this morning, uh, we're not just talking about uh, prayer and fasting as a part of your discipling relationship with Jesus. It's, it is that. But what we're talking about is we believe prayer and fasting is catalytic to unleash disciple-making in other people as well. That we believe that prayer and fasting isn't just a part of the puzzle. It's often what comes first. In the puzzle, when you see prayer and fasting movements begin. And so we were asking, or uh, disciple-making movements begin. And so a couple of years ago, we were asking God, um, what would it take to penetrate the hard ground of cultural Christianity that's so pervasive here where we're at? What would it look like to, to break that ground and to go deeper in the kingdom? And we had this image that we felt like the Lord gave us of an arrowhead coming down um, from heaven. And so... You know, some of you just wrote me off because that's too charismatic for you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, we, 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 the Lord gave us a picture that we saw, it, and it was this, this image of an arrowhead coming down and, and breaking the ground and, and transforming the culture. And we saw it broken up into four pieces, and it was like this. On the tip of the arrowhead was communal prayer and fasting. The second piece was disciple-making in every sphere of society. So not disciple-making as a church program, or as an adult class, although it can be parts of those things, but disciple-making that is bleeding into every sphere where people live, work, and play. The third place was church planting. It's so a church planting that was being birthed out of disciple-making in prayer and fasting, not just 
people coming together saying, hey, what's the coolest part of town and how are we going get to a, get a campus there? Going, no, how do we actually reach the parts of the city that nobody else is thinking about? And then the last part uh, that we saw was uh, culture shaping. Culture shaping. And this is, this is where, uh, this is what we would call just that external kingdom fruit, where all of a sudden people begin to see the fruit of the kingdom in such a way that they want to be a part of the kingdom. Uh, here's a couple of short definitions for you. I believe the definition, uh, an easy definition of revival is when the church begins to influence the culture naturally. And a definition of apostasy is when the culture influences the church naturally. Mm-hmm. And I, we all know kind of where we're in, like according to those definitions, right? Like, is your church affecting the culture uh, more rapidly or is the culture affecting the people in your churches more rapidly? Mm-hmm. And so what we believe is that when these things come together that, that where, where, where the sharpness of the kingdom of God begins to penetrate the most difficult uh, terrain. It starts in prayer and fasting, and then everything else begins to kind of flow out of that. And so you see this, you know, biblically, right? Uh, you see this in Acts chapter 2. What, what happened before the revival broke out in Acts 2? Man, they were in this place of prayer and fasting, Right? You know, what, what happened before Moses received the, the Ten Commandments? Do you remember what he's doing? Anybody remember how long he was fasting up on the mountain? Forty days. And then, uh, I, I never noticed this until a few years ago, he comes down and he breaks the tablets and he goes up and he does another 40-day step. <laughs> it's like you'd think he'd march back up and just get like the instant download. It's like, oh! He's like so mad. He's not just mad about the calf. He's hungry. Like He's, he's angry and he, he, he's up there. But so often before... Yeah, biblically speaking, before these great moves, you know, God would show up to the people of Israel and he'd say, hey, get yourselves ready. Consecrate yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Deny yourselves because you're getting ready to meet me. Get, get ready for that encounter. So, so often, uh, before a great outpouring of the Spirit, there's a season where the church humbles themselves. It's 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, right? My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I'd hear from heaven, I'd answer their prayers, and what else would I do? I would heal their land. Do you know that what we do in here affects what's going on out there? We, we, we believe that. So you see this biblically? You see this? You see this historically? They think about every great revival. You're hard-pressed to find any, any true lasting revival that did not first begin in a place of prayer and fasting. And so... Uh, For us, as we think about this, we believe it kind of leads the way. And so here's what we want to talk about just for the last little bit of our time together is, okay, if this is true, like if what we're talking about is true, how do you begin to move towards that? How do you begin to step into that? You know, so for some of you, it's going to be on the personal level. Uh, For some of you, it's going to be on the the corporate level, like your churches. And for some of you, it's going to be rallying people together in your cities or across cities or across denominations to actually do this. And so we kind of want to end this last little bit talking through the, the why do we do this, the how do we do this, what does all of that look like. And so let's start with, with the why, and we're going to move through these pretty quickly because we've given you a lot of the why already. Why do we do this? First and foremost, it just starts with the promise of Scripture. It just starts with the promise of Scripture. That, that, that we believe you don't have to understand why it works to just believe that it works. And sometimes people go, wait, why, does, why, do, why do you think? I'm like, I don't have a clue. I don't know what I'm eating for dinner tonight. How do you think I can figure out this cosmic mystery? Like, like why, I don't know why us denying ourselves and praying 
seems to open up something in our hearts and in the heart of God for what's happening. But man, there's, there's the promise of Scripture. So part of the reason why we do this is because of what we see in Scripture. Second reason why we do this is because it's a picture of Jesus. That's who we want to model our lives after. We see Jesus immediately after he's baptized. Where does he go? To pray and fast for how long? 40 days. It's not just like a one 24-hour stint and I'm done. He retreats to commune with the Father in prayer and fasting so that he would get, gird that, gird that like, spiritual toughness, that tenacity, so when he's challenged by Satan, he has a clarity of who he is, right? And then we also see in Matthew 6, 16, you know, when you pray and fast, wash your face, right? So it's not if you pray and fast, it's when. It's something that's expected. Those are Jesus' words. Yeah, so we you know, think about the, the promise of Scripture. We think about the picture of Jesus' life. If we want to be like Jesus, we want to do everything that Jesus does. And for us, he's been really convicted. Like, how come we've never modeled or, or um, imitated that part of life that Jesus modeled for us? The third space is what I mentioned a moment ago, just the proof of history. Why do we do this? Just the proof of history. You know, I think about, uh, I love studying revival history. One of my favorites is what happened in Logan County, Kentucky, not too far from here. And, and, and just thinking about the, the preacher, James McCready, that came from Pennsylvania, and he shows up at this little small church in, in, in Kentucky when Kentucky was literally one of the most godless places in the country, which is, if any of you know anything about Kentucky now, you're like, Kentucky used to be godless? Like, like it, that's where all of the outlaws and the rebels would go, and he gets this invitation to come to Kentucky and to, to pastor this little church. And do you know what he said to them? He said, I will come if your church will commit to pray and fast until we see revival break out. And so every Saturday night, their little church would meet up. They'd meet up right after dinner, and they'd stay up all the way through the night praying, all the way through the night until the next morning, and then they would conclude their time with worship service. What if that was the stipulation for the people this Sunday? Like they couldn't come to church unless they stayed up with you all night Saturday praying. You would quit that church. <laughs> you know, that's what they did. And they did that for a year. They did that for a whole year before they saw anything tangible, and then this... Thing broke out, and now Kentucky is like the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I look at what God does, you know, and just crazy. You know, it's the promise of Scripture. It's the picture of Jesus. It's the proof of history. It's part of why we think this matters. And the fourth reason is it's the prevailing need of our nation right now, right? It's a prevailing need of our families, of our city, of our nation. Talk about promises that he will heal our land. We need healing in the United States, right? And even beyond into the nations, into the world. So the last one is, uh, why do we do this? Just the power of God. It's the power of God to change lives. Um, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis once said, he said, you know, uh, prayer doesn't just change things, it changes me. Which is really true, by the way. And so I try to make a habit of not arguing with C.S. Lewis because dude is pretty sharp. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, but I, I'll, I'll go on and say, like, yeah, prayer does change us, but I don't just pray because I think it changes us. I pray because I think God changes things as well. And, uh, you know, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that raised the dead, the same God that heals the sick, the same God. We, we believe that prayers are literally history-shaping, history-changing 
realities. In fact, we said this this past week at our church. We said, hey, the most dangerous place in this room is our prayer banner. Like, if you want your life messed up, go over to the prayer banner and have somebody pray for you. Because when people pray, man, God shifts things. He changes things. And so why do we pray and fast together? Well, the promise of Scripture, the picture of Jesus, the proof of history, the prevailing need of the day, and the power of God to change lives. And those all started with peace. So those of you that are Southern Baptist, you're welcome. You can remember that. And uh, it's easy to, to kind of hang on to. So um, that, that's why we do it. But how do we, or, or uh, what is it that we try to help them do? And so part of it is once you get your head around the why, you have to understand, help them understand what is it that we're actually inviting you to do when it comes to prayer and fasting. So what does prayer and fasting look like for us? And for some of you who've been practicing this, this may feel watered down to you, but I also encourage you to listen because when you've been doing something well for a long time, it becomes your automatic and it's almost hard to think back to when you didn't know how to do that and train somebody who's just starting out. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so if, if not, just try teaching a four-year-old how to tie their shoes. You've got to rewind how you do that, right? <laughs> and so even if you've been practicing this, don't turn off. It's going to feel watered down. You need to hear it. And those of you who haven't done it, it we're starting baby steps. So what does prayer and fasting look like? Very simply, when we've been taking ourselves through this journey to figure out and even taking our church through this, is we started with really simply soul fasting. Now, soul fasting is just the idea of abstaining from something, like asking the Lord, God, what do you need me to weed out of my life? So it could look like weaning out technology. could look like fasting from TV. could look like fasting from social media. Now, we want to be really clear that fasting biblically, we do believe that is from food. But when you're gently teaching people and training people, Give them spiritual milk, right? Not a feast to start with. So it starts simply, and we say, hey, ask the Lord, what can you soul fast from? And bring them in that way. The next level we like to bring people in is at the Daniel fast. And if you guys remember in Daniel, he took 21 days of abstaining from kind of the luxuries of meat and wine and all those things. And so helping people, hey, for 21 days, let's pare it back. So you're not doing no food, but you're restricting the food that you're doing in that you would replace that with your time of communing with the Lord, right? That your focus would be on the Lord in prayer. Then the next level that we invite them in is really that sunup to sundown. And so that through sunup to sundown, that it would be just fluids, that it would be water. For some of you, you may juice fast through that day. And again, we're, we're just explaining this from a place of where you can't leave people where you haven't been. And we hadn't been on this journey. It was a lot of trial and error and figuring it out. And so I'm going to give you a candid story. We have three little boys, and at the time, they were quite young. And as we started doing this fast, I said, okay, I'm going to take three days and fast, and I'm just going to do sun up to sundown, just water. Okay, so three kids. Yeah, it's, a, it's been great. So three kids. I now have one on my hip that I'm going up the stairs, and I go, my legs feel like jello suddenly. That's, oh, that's interesting. Keep going on throughout my day. I'm going to power through because I can do this, right? I can do this. Isn't that just the farce with fasting, right? And... <laughs> So we walk into Toys R Us, if that tells you how long ago this was. We walk into Toys R Us, and I have three little kids with me. I'm solo, and I start to black out. I was like, this is not, I'm not going in the ER with three kids, and this is not <laughs> happening. And I realized, you know, God, I have to humble myself and realize this is also a learning journey. And so I realized, man, maybe I need to do juicing during the day on my sunup to sundown because I still have responsibility with my kids, and physically I'm all in more than I can cut back. Because with fasting, we realize, man, you have to slow down. You need to slow down so you can make time for God. You can't go as hard as you've been going. You have to pull back. And if you're not convinced of that, then try the next level, and that's a full fast, you know, where it's just going off of water. 
And you have to slow down and make room for the Lord. You mm-hmm. can't run and gun as hard because you're going to miss what he has for you in that. So if that kind of gives you kind of that spiritual milk moving your way up as you're leading people in that. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we when you talk about prayer and fasting, when we think about it, it's easy to focus on what it is that you're letting go of yeah. as opposed to who it is that you're taking hold of. Mm-hmm. Or maybe more importantly, who it is that you're letting take hold of you. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes when... When we think about prayer and fasting, you know, it's like, oh, with the soul fast, I've got to let go of technology. And I go, can you imagine what would happen? I love challenging some of our young guys in church. Give up TV for one week and replace all of your time on Netflix with getting in the Word of God and see if God doesn't just wreck your life. Mm-hmm. It'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. And at first it's like, oh man, it's, it's what I'm giving up. It's what I'm letting go of. But then they get a, they get a taste who it is that they're taking hold of and and then you don't have to convince them so much anymore, right? Like, and so there's this, this tendency sometimes when we're, we're thinking, it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not challenging. There, there's actually something in the act of self-denial. It's what Sydney mentioned earlier. In a world that's marked by pervasive self-gratification where everything is about you and how you find yourself, what does it look like to train people to deny themselves? And one of the things that our friend Carol said to us years ago was just really stuck with this. She said, it, she said to her, it was very convicting that all of the kids who were growing up in Muslim families were growing up with kids that were much more disciplined and convicted by their beliefs than Christians were. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, it's true. It's true. And, and, and so, so it starts with why do we do this, those things that we listed out. Um, what is it that we're doing? You know, we just try to tell, we, we literally try to help people, okay, just take your next step, not our next step. What's your next step? And then kind of this third space is... How do you guide someone through this process? And so over the last couple of years, we've been, we've been guiding our church through this. We've now been guiding other churches. In this past year, we had 40,000 people do this with us here in the city from all over. And, and it, for a lot of them, they're in all different places. People who had never fasted before, people who had done it lots and lots of times. And so how do you guide people through it? And I'm just going to give you a few things. It starts in this place of preparation. And so you have to prepare them first. And, and that means you don't spring this on them. You know, and so a lot of it is we've built this into our, our church calendar now. But we let them know, hey, it's coming. And half the battle is not just getting your body ready. It's getting your mind ready and your heart ready and your community ready. Because if you don't prepare, you will start well and finish poorly. And so it starts in this place of preparation. And we prepare them uh, in several ways. Like uh, a few years ago... Uh, this, by the way, embarrasses me because I'm not a self-promoter. It's just not who I am. Um, but a few years ago, when we were trying to figure out how to help people take this journey, I, I sat down and just wrote a little guy, and I thought, could I give something to that guy in the back row who's coming to church with his girlfriend? He's just nominally bought into what's happening. What would I say to him if I could talk to him over the course of 45 minutes or an hour? Could, and so I just wrote this little booklet you know, that's literally designed to help our people get their heads around, why do we do this? What, what we, and so every year as we start our fast, we literally give them this again. Like, hey, even if you've already read it, just, just prepare yourself. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. Prepare your body. It literally walks you through what kind of fast should I do and how do I get my community ready and what do I do if I have small kids and literally just trying to walk them through <laughs> step by step. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Here's how we do it. So part of it is, is we try to prepare them really well. We, we give our church resources. We, we, we give them the book. We, we give them a 30-day devotional guide. So when we pray together, here's what we're going to be praying about for 30 days. 
Here's the stuff they're going to be leaning into. We, we prepare them that way. We have people from our church write um, blogs. Hey, here's how I'm getting ready. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're wrestling with. And so all of it is, how do we prepare? The second thing is, how do we start well? And this, I mean, I know this stuff sounds so simple, but we've just found um, when we start a fast communally, starting it on a Sunday makes all of the difference. It helps to start when everybody's together as opposed to starting on Monday when they're all shooting out on their own. Like, you know, and so we actually start the fast together as a church. We, we celebrate the moment. We prepare ourselves before the Lord um, together. And so we found starting well um, and starting together is really important. Third piece is as we go throughout it, we try to encourage. And so we start, and then we try to encourage them. And this is one of my favorite parts um, throughout the fast. Once again, we do this through blogs. We do this through social media. And we do this through emails. Um, we make podcasts. We try to encourage them. But on Sundays when we come together, uh, we have time for testimony. And every week we have people get up and testify. And we have testimonies in two distinct areas. Uh, we have testimonies with people that are experiencing great success. We have testimonies of people that are really struggling. And people get up there, and we cheer for everyone because we just cheer that they're trying to step into something with God. So, you know, you have somebody get up there, and they're like, I've been praying and fasting, and God has clarified vision for me, and we're going to the nations. And everybody's like, yay, and everybody cheers. And then the next person gets up, and it's like, I prayed and fasted, and I hated it. And I yelled at my wife this week, and I've lost my faith, and I don't know if I'm a Christian. And everybody's like, yay! <laughs> And, uh, but seriously, we, we, we celebrate. We, we, we celebrate. Why? Because, you know, those of you that have kids, when your kids take their first steps and they fall over, do you yell at them? No. You get out every camera in your house and you cheer them on and you stand them up. Like, uh, that kid's not winning any foot races, but you're happy. Why? Because they're moving. Because they're moving. They're stepping. That's, that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate. And so... Um, when we first started doing this with our church, we, we didn't know how, man, where are we going to find the testimonies? What are we going to do? So we started with our leaders, and we just said, hey, we want you guys to go first, which put pressure on them to actually do it. Because we're always telling our leaders, hey, we're not leading our people anywhere that you're not going first. We're not going to call our people to give if you're not giving. We're not going to call our people to fast if you're not fasting. And so our leaders got up, and, and they shared success, and they shared struggle. And so um, the next one is when you get to the end of the journey, you celebrate what God has done. And you give time, not just for testimony, but just to name. I mean, this past year was so much fun. Just getting to stop and go, man, look at what God's done in the city. Look at what he's done this season of prayer and fasting. We, we called leaders together. Um, we had like 600, 500, 600 leaders uh, who had led their churches in that citywide fast all come together. And we had this huge dinner. And the, it's just this big feast where, like, we try to end every fast with a feast because we think that's important. There's a season to let go of things, and there's a season to take hold of things. And so we, we try to end with, with a big feast, and we do that on the, the family level. So when we end a fast, we break it with a feast. And we have so many funny stories from that that don't have time for today. But um, uh, on the communal level, we do the same thing. And so we get all of these leaders together in a room and just listening to them tell stories <coughs> of what God did. Uh, it's it just just amazing uh, uh, the way that God showed up in power and people's lives were changed. I, I'll tell you one 
I can tell you a bunch of stories. I'll just give you one. One of the stories that was shared that night. There was a guy who had started showing up at one of the churches who was, uh, he was uh, not a follower of Jesus. He had been leading a really successful multi, multi-million dollar company. And uh, in every area of his professional life, this guy was just killing it. Um, but at home, everything was falling apart. And his kids had rebelled. They hadn't turned out the way that he had wanted. And his, his wife had uh, recently uh, left him and filed for divorce. And so he shows up at church with one of his friends who honestly was just kind of a nominal Christian at best. I mean, uh, so he shows up and uh, they're in the back row and we're talking about prayer and fasting. And, and uh, this guy's like, what's this prayer and fasting thing? This is weird. It's some cult, you know, like you brought me here. And, and so, but this guy's heartbroken. So he's, he's listening to the Lord for the first time in his life in new ways. And so they're walking out of church that day and he looks over at his friend this nominal Christian, and he says, he says, what are you giving up for your fast? The non-Christian asked the Christian that. And so the Christian guy looks back at him and he says, he says, this month I'm giving up pornography. And, uh, and, and uh, yeah, and, um, and the non-Christian guy goes, uh, he said, okay, I don't know much about this whole church thing, and I don't know much about fasting, but I'm pretty sure that's not what he was talking about. <laughs> True story, he said, I'm pretty sure that's just a sin and you should probably quit that. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I'm going to fast. And so this non-Christian guy, in his desperate, he goes home and, and he just starts fasting. And it, it's so brilliant. Uh, this is what he decided to do. Uh, he, he decided every night he'd put his car keys in his tennis shoes and he put his tennis shoes under the middle of his king-size bed. And I'm like, why would you do that? Because every morning before he could leave the house, he would have to get down on his knees, on his stomach, prostrate before the Lord, but under his marriage bed to get his keys. Mm-hmm. And as he had lay on his face, he'd repent before the Lord and pray for his marriage. Mm-hmm. About a week went by. His wife calls and says, hey, why are we getting divorced? He said, could you send me papers? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably more reasons than that, you know. But like, and she said, hey, is, is it possible? Is it possible we could maybe, like, try this thing again? And she moved back in and... And God is reconciling their marriage, and he has come to the Lord, and she is coming to the Lord, and things are happening, and, and I go, guys, it's just, it's just crazy. We celebrate. We celebrate. We prepare well. We start well. We encourage that process. We celebrate. And then last but not least, we try to discern what God might be saying for us in light of that. And this is, this is really important because what we have found is that God has typically used these seasons as a megaphone for our community. Like, as a megaphone into our community. Like, He speaks into us. And um, there's a lot of times where there may be individuals within the church, it's like, how'd it go for you? It's like, oh, it's terrible. I was angry the whole time, and I didn't hear the voice of God. But somebody else in our church did. And he spoke something, and man, God did something. And it's this beautiful place for us to remind people that, man, we're discerning this thing communally. God's just in communally. And when he does it in the body, he does it for all of us communally. I'm going to give a little example of that too. You know, as we're going through our fast, it is something that you're doing independently, but we've had people have God just put something on their heart and they sit with it and try and discern it. But then in their small groups, it now becomes an opportunity for them to discern it, have their small groups pray and rally around them. And if you really want those relationships to be knit together, it's when somebody's praying for you on these major decisions. And so we've seen people come to their small groups, ask for prayer, come to leaders at church, and even come before the church and ask for prayer for these things as well. So it really knits your community together. Yeah, so, you know, 
as we kind of we're going to wrap this up and we're going to take some time for Q and A before before we're done. But I want to encourage you to really practically. If if this is not a part of your life or your church's communal life, man, I want to encourage you to take a step. Take a small step and and maybe it's picking up the book and kind of getting your head around this. Maybe it's getting a small group to go through it together. Uh, maybe it's getting a few a few folks in your life to just start. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna fast from lunch every Wednesday. You know, uh, that's going to be our thing for this next season. And we're going to pray for our, our children. Or we're going to pray for our church. Um, it doesn't have to be this grand, over-the-top, like, you know, seven days on a mountain. Like, I think sometimes we make it so intense that we, we, miss, we miss the simplicity and miss the beauty of it. So I want to just encourage you, um, start small. Uh, number two, um, don't be scared to do this communally. And I know there's this rub there, like... You're not doing this for the sake of others. And so, so we're not saying, like, wear it on your sleeve. Well, I'm fasting, tell everybody about it. But there's something so powerful about doing it in a small community of trusted people um, because you go so much further together. And so, you know, our staff fast together regularly. And it's so much different when we come into the office and we're all fasting than when I come into the office and I'm just fasting on my own or Aaron's fasting on his own. It's like, those moments are good as well. But, man, just what God does as we set aside those times. So start small and then stick with it. What I mean by that is it's important that you don't just treat fasting like a fad. It's not just something to try and then move on to the next thing. We've been at this for years, and we just keep building. So at first it was a, a month, and then it became once a month, and then it just, it just becomes this rhythm where all of a sudden just stick with it. And what I believe is that God will do way more over the course of the next decade than you can ever imagine, and he'll probably do less than you want him to do this year. Like, we tend to overestimate what he's going to do in a year and underestimate what he'll do in a decade. And so uh, what I tell people is when it comes to prayer and fasting, don't just start small, but stick with it. Keep leading people into it. And uh, I'm going to have a few of our team members stand up real quick. This is Aaron Etheridge. Aaron, could you stand up? This is Joshua Soloway. This is Jana Og. Um, they're going to be here as well. They're a part of our team. Um, they, they all pastor in our church. They also help with our church planting organization, Onward, which helps us lead other churches through prayer and fasting. And so if you have practical questions at the end as well, Sydney and I would love to help. They would love to help answer any of those questions that you have uh, about kind of what we're doing. We'd love to help you individually take your next step of prayer and fasting. We'd love to help you mobilize your church if that's something you're interested in. And we'd love to help you mobilize your city if that's where you're at. So um, that's... So we got about four minutes. Does anybody have questions? So how long from kind of your experience, uh, kind of the conviction in prayer and fasting, to when you started to lead part of your church through it? So too short. Too short. <laughs> yeah. So, we got a little gung-ho. Yeah. That, that, that window, the first time we did it was, what did you say? Who said it was good? good. It was honest. Yeah, yeah it's it way too soon. Um, like a month and a half or something. I mean, it was like a short window. And um, and gave everybody whiplash, and in not a good way. Um, and so, but by the grace of God, we've we've kind of we've He's matured us in that, and so we've we started. So even with prayer, what it's looked like is three years ago we started just in the middle of service, towards the end of service. Hey, get together with someone near you and let's pray together for ninety seconds. And that ninety seconds felt like 
more than a pregnant pause. It felt awkward, <laughs> but real awkward. But now it is commonplace in a Sunday service to stop and have multiple people just, I mean, you see the whole, we say, let's stop and pray. And we'll pray for 20 minutes and we'll give bullet points of what you're praying through. There'll be groups of four or five. And it's like a ruckus in there. You know, it's loud. It's, it is what people now know as their normative, but that was not, the beginning was nine, 90 seconds of awkwardness, but it took three and a half years of developing that culture to that point. Yeah, and, and we're like, we're just going to keep doing it because we, we want our people to know how to talk to their father, not just on their own, but in community. And so it's, it's really important to us. You, you talked about this kind of tags with that, but how five years ago you started and it just crashed. And how did you get, like, so when you backed up and then started to step it out to where you're at now, uh, just kind of walk us through that. Yeah, so, you know, that first year, there's some really good things that happened, but there's some collateral damage on the backside um, as well. And so that just really caused us to think through the process. Um, and so we thought, okay, we've, this has got to be a continual reality. And so just kind of trial and error for us. And so really coming out of that first time, um, we started making some real shifts, like in our staff culture. We realized as a staff, we don't pray enough together. And so we started doing a weekly prayer meeting just with our staff. And then it became a daily prayer meeting with our staff, but it became a weekly prayer meeting with our church. You see what's happening? It's like, so what used to be weekly is now daily for our staff, but our church is kind of coming right behind us. And so we just started stepping that thing out. Just, just one moment, the, the image that we had a couple of years ago, uh, we have three boys and we had taken them to this river. And there were these like stones across the river and the boys were, our two oldest boys, their legs were long enough to run and jump across those stones. And our youngest son, he runs and falls. He can't make it because his brothers are brothers. They start making fun of him and laughing. And, and, uh, and, and we're like, hey, what's a better option? And just on their own, they immediately went and got some bigger rocks and put it in between the rocks. And I was like, whoa, that's a spiritual picture for me. And so what we've tried to do is to go, okay, how do we just put, you know, so for instance, every year when we fast, we literally give people a prayer packet. We do this for churches, but we give them a packet and they open it up, and we tell them everything you need to know about this fast is in that packet. And uh, they open it up, and there's a guide. Here's when it starts. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we do it. Here's what you need to do, you know. And then here's a book to read, and here's a prayer guide. And, and we just we literally just try to, to step, because the, the ones that can already do it, they're not going to be offended that we laid it out clearly. You know, it'll just be a good refresher, and they'll, they'll, they'll run for, further. But the even, ones that have never done it. Even mentally thinking, who, what? Where, when, why, and how, and breaking that down simply for that. It's nice sun, just sundown's better in the winter, too, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Don't do that in the middle of summer. <laughs> All right. Hey, on, on behalf of Clayton's and Renew, uh, it, I just want to thank everybody for being here. If you want more information about Renew and you want to stay in touch when the Claytons will be partnering with us again in the future, make sure we get your name and your email before you leave. Also, uh, it's a publishing partner of ours. It's actually a discipleship.org resource. But if you're interested on this topic, there's a book that the Claytons authored um, called Awaken. Um, we've used it at Renew. Um, and our publishing partner is down at the end of the hall. Or I'm sorry, Revival starts here. Um, it's, it's what fuels their awakened movement um, and, and gives really great practical instruction uh, for beginners at prayer and fasting. 
Um, anyways, that, that is at the Hem Publication booth. Uh, they're publishing partners of Renew as well. So I just thought I'd make that announcement if you guys are interested in a resource. Um, in any event, thank you guys for coming. I'll leave the clipboard up here. That's it for today's episode. Check out Winfield Bevan's ebook that we mentioned at the top of this episode by going to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins. Thanks for listening. Thank you.